This podcast is intended to provide general information about various recent developments in employment law and human resources best practices. Nothing in this presentation or in the comments of Ms. Johnson, Ms. Shannon, or any guest should be considered as the rendering of legal or other professional advice, and it is not directed at any specific cases or circumstances. Listeners are responsible for obtaining the necessary advice about their specific situations from their own counsel. These materials are intended for educational and informational purposes only. The presentation and these materials represent the opinions of the participants and not those of their law firms or companies. No part of these materials may be printed, photocopied, or otherwise reproduced, recorded, or stored, or transmitted in any form and by any means, electronic, mechanical, or otherwise, without the prior written permission of today's workplace podcast. Welcome to today's workplace, a podcast created to keep employers current on the latest employment law trends while providing proactive solutions to the everyday issues arising in today's rapidly changing workplace. Is your business prepared for today's workplace? Let's find out with your hosts, Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. During our last episode, we had a great discussion with John Geyer and David Cohen of DCI Consultants. John and David provided us with great insight into the data analytics and diversity metrics employers are using to support their employment compliance and diversity strategies. Today, we're pivoting to the entertainment industry and taking a rare look at the world behind the camera and examining the evolution of that unique workplace. We are absolutely thrilled to have Sean Joel Johnson join us to talk about diversity in the entertainment industry and its response to the current movement for social justice. Sean Joel Johnson is an accomplished lawyer, award-winning television producer, and former network executive. He is the head of business and legal affairs for Fuse Media, home of the Fuse and FM television networks and Fuse.tv. Fuse is in 60 million homes. FM is 43 million homes. Sean oversees all business and legal activities for the network, as well as its standards and practices department. Prior to that, he was most recently of counsel to the boutique law firm Taylor Lewis LLP in New York City and the principal of Left Center Entertainment LLC, a television and digital production company. Sean's experience includes over 10 years as vice president of business and legal affairs for MTV Networks, managing business and legal matters for the creation distribution, and marketing of intellectual property across all media, including television, feature film, home entertainment, and digital. Welcome to today's Workplace, Sean. We'd really like to hear more about your professional background and how it brought you to the exciting work you do in the entertainment industry as a lawyer, producer, and head of business affairs for a media outlet. When I started my legal journey, I'd always wanted to be Uh, in the entertainment field. I had been uh, a business manager at a nonprofit arts organization after after college. And, um, you know, while I enjoyed the work and I enjoyed uh, our ability to showcase, you know, some amazing talent, um, what I didn't like was the fact that I wasn't getting paid anything. 
<laughs> as the business manager. So one of my uh, mentors who was on the board of directors um, suggested that I go to law school and basically said, uh, if you like what you're doing now, get that law degree and, you know, maybe they'll put a zero behind it. Yeah. That's <laughs> okay. Like that would have made a, a life difference for me um, at the time. So when I went to law school, I didn't really get caught up in sort of like the firm, the, the, the drive to, uh, to go to a firm. I spent my, like my first summer at Paramount Pictures and my second summer at Motown Records. I worked my whole third year at BET, which was, which was just starting out. And uh, I had really gotten my feet wet, wet in entertainment. I went to a firm right after law school, um, but I think that was more peer pressure than anything. And I quit four months later. Wow. <laughs> just because I was mad. I was, I was calling my mom upset every day. My mom's like, well, will you just quit that job, boy? What is wrong with you <laughs> if you don't like it? And I was like, but I'm making all this money. I've never made this much money before. She's like, you're miserable, quit. So I did, as luck would, you know, I got lucky because BT um, had uh, two lawyers that just left at the same time and I knew the system. And so uh, Deborah Lee brought me in. D. Deborah Lee, um, she yes. actually hired me as an attorney, uh, and I worked for her and uh, a woman named Marita Coley, who was a big mentor of mine as well, yeah. for a couple for two years. And then um, we did a joint production with MTV, and I got along really well with the lawyers there. Um, it certainly was MTV's heyday, and I had always wanted to live in New York, and I went up there and I spent you know ten years at MTV overseeing the Video Music Awards, all the business and legal, um, MTV News, News and Docs, all those beach house shows and True Lives, Osbournes, and like I did all those kind of deals and production, like day-to-day production legal on that. And I just got the bug to go into to, to, to becoming a creative because when you listen to production people talk, when you listen to creative people talk, and when you're a lawyer, people tell you you're not really creative. You know, it's kind of like this, you know, tell us what the contracts are. And... Mm-hmm. Um, but after a while, you're like, wait a minute, I do have an idea that can make this a little better. And after a while, you know, that kind of seed just grows. And it was like, I really wanted to get over into the uh, move, move on to the creative side. And the company was flexible enough at the time that I was given the opportunity to. Um, and so I, then I spent 10 years as a producer. BT was also part of Viacom. So I went over to BT and became head of programming strategy for the BTJ centric channel. And executive produced a bunch of shows, got nominated for the NAACP award, won a GLAAD award, produced a couple of films. And then I got tired of all that hustle. I was like, you know what? I was a good lawyer. Let me go, let me, let me, let me do, a, do a stage left and go back to something that I know that I like that doesn't have the emotional highs and lows that being a producer has. And so it's been about eight years since I've been back as a lawyer. So I guess the, the funny thing is, is that when I wanted to become a producer, everybody was like, he's just, a, you know, he's a lawyer, just, you know, he'll, he'll go back to being a lawyer in a minute. And then all of a sudden I was a producer and people forgot that I was a lawyer. And then when I'm a lawyer again, it's like, aren't you a producer? And so, you know, I like to think that I kind of work with both sides of my mind equally. And I like, uh, you know, my current position, um, Brennan Business and Legal uh, Fuse allows me to do that. And, and, and the entertainment industry is changing so much. Uh, you know, in all kinds of ways, you know, from the, from the, what you see on the screen, uh, to, to, you know, who's behind the camera to, uh, actually seeing more people who look like me and you. 
You know, when we think about the entertainment industry, most people are very familiar with the entertainment industry and what happens in front of the camera. But your career has given you a great perspective beyond the camera lens. Can you tell us more about the business of entertainment and the opportunities that it presents? Yeah, I think most people think that, um, you know, when they when they think entertainment, they just think producer, director, and then on-air talent, you know, actor, actress, voiceover, host, um, or, you know, being some kind of like unscripted character in a reality series. But there's so much more that goes into it. There's so much more that goes into just putting something together, you know, um, there's the ideation of what actually makes a good show, which is a development team. And almost every production company and every network has one where they just sift through ideas and what's in the zeitgeist at the moment, what will people be drawn to? Uh, there are, you know, the people who handle the logistics. How do you get from A to B when you're doing a production? How do we move from city to city? That's production management. Um, they are the glue to any production. You know, I mean, they handle all of the logistics and are, are basically fixers when things go wrong. You have your wardrobe people, you gotta dress everybody. You got your script supervisors, you have to make sure that everything is consistent throughout the whole show. You have your writers who have to put a script together. You have your casting people who cast people. You know, um, you have your sound guys. You know, like anything you can think of, they're, 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 outside of the entertainment industry, there's usually something where you can use your skills that are outside and use them someplace on the inside. Um, it's just that I think sometimes people don't have, they don't see the big picture. You know, they see the, you know, it's, it's more bright lights, big city. It's really not just that. Like there's the people, you know, when you see a logo, people have to come up with the logos. You see those graphic packages that you watch right before you watch a show. That's a whole separate department that does that. And then, you know, you have your marketing. Once the show's done, you know, you have your marketing activations, you know, people approaching brands that they then complement a series, um, you know, audience outreach, you know, who, who likes what and who should we be targeting, you know, developing partnerships. There's so much that goes in. And then, and then even then, you know, there's more because once like a, a, a series has been on a network, it, you know, the idea is that you still want to keep monetizing it. So where else do we go? What other international channels would like this show? How do I reach them? How do I do deals in other countries? I was going to ask um, in all of that, because that's very, very fascinating. And people rarely think about uh, the depth of, of, of opportunity in different roles and different parts of creating content and putting it in front of a screen, in front of a, a market and an audience in a successful way. I was gonna ask, what are the power positions in all of that? The, the power positions are always the heads of the writer. If it's a scripted show, it's always the writer. If it's an unscripted show, it's usually the producer or the director. If it's a film, you know, it's the, and you're going through a film company, it's, it's uh, who's, the, who's the distributor, who's buying it. Uh, if you're a network, it's who's your development exec because they'll give you enough notes to drive you crazy until they get what they want and you'll have to keep going back and doing it because even though you have an idea of what you want, your program, series, uh, commercial, whatever it is to be, they have the final say because they're the ones who bought it. You know, there's no, uh, you, there's no like free creative reign when somebody pays for it. You know, you have to give them a product that they... That, that they feel like they've gotten their money worth, that their money's worth. 
but yeah, the power players are the power players are the big the bigger positions that you hear about. But but you need everybody to make it work. It's a team, like entertainment and production and creation. It's about teamwork. It's about finding the team to help you move to the next level and help to you to move forward. So when we when we think about um, the diversity, because that's a big topic in entertainment nowadays, the diversity of the entertainment industry. Um, can you describe what what you've seen? Because you've been at it, at, at it for a good bit of time in working in all aspects of it. What have you seen in terms of the levels of diversity and, and how have you seen it evolve or is it not really evolving the way we would expect it to? When I started MTV, I was the first black lawyer they had. So things have changed <laughs> a lot. I, I, I mean, one of the things, I mean, even when I left there, they were across, you know, MTV networks, there were a, a lot of people of color. I mean, things have moved, they just haven't moved fast. And then it's like, even when they have moved, it's the the upper levels that they haven't moved to, right? So, you know, you you may have your, your you know, you I don't wanna say entry, but entry and mid-level where it, it looks good, like as far as like diversity and inclusion. But then as soon as you start stepping up, it fades away. And I think this happens across in other industries and in, in other fields. Once you, you know, once the ladder goes up, I mean, you know, you may have a couple of associates every year, but who makes partner, right? So, I mean, it's the same, it's the same situation. Uh, and I also think that's accompanied by some frustration. And the one thing that the entertainment industry is known for, I mean, it's just the truth is that, you know, it's, it's, it, there is a lot about who you know and, and your connections. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because what I said earlier about it being like sort of a team, it's very enclosed, this is very enclosed environment. And people want to work with people who they know and they like. And so it perpetuates itself unless you force them to start looking at other people and thinking about other people. I was going to ask, um, why is the entertainment mostly white and mostly male at the upper upper levels? And maybe that's part of the reason. Or do you you have any more insight? Well, yeah, I, you know, it's a, I think it's a little bit of a, a you know, sort of like the bro culture. You know, the, you help me, and you know, and then you know, we'll go hang out, and it, it perpetuates itself. I mean, you got to think. We're not like, it's, it's not just different. You're not just bringing in a person who just looks different than you, right? You're not just, the idea anyway, is that you're not bringing in uh, uh, a person who's just like you, except for they're black. You're bringing in somebody from another culture and another community who when they leave, they have another culture, culture and community and identity that they actually kind of relish being a part of. That's different from yours, you know? And so the idea is that you have to appreciate that as opposed to saying like, we all need to go here and have a beer after work. It's like, no, somebody's gotta go, you know, take care of their kids. I mean, I think that's why it's, it's become, it was initially like a male business, you know? I mean, for the most part back in the day, you know, you, most of the men were working. And so, and they didn't have, they didn't have the same constraints and so women weren't in the workplace as much. And so that kind of led to itself, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, if you knew somebody who liked you, they could, they, they could move you around. And that's, and that's the same, same way it is right now, actually, but it's better, but it's better. Like, it, you know, like I, you know, I have moments where I bitch a lot, um, <laughs> but it, it's, it's changed and it'll continue to change. And, you know, we have to be change agents. 
you know, given what you described as at least historically the industry being mostly white, mostly male, what issues did the social justice Black Lives Matter events of last year highlight for the entertainment media industry? I mean, there was a it was a Variety or Hollywood Reporter did a report on top executives at a number of production companies, studios, networks. And, you know, it's kind of like, sometimes, you know, race ipsa, thing speaks for itself. You know, we weren't there. In some networks, we weren't there at all. Mm. So, I mean, you know, I mean, I think the problem that happens, and especially when you get a bunch of, like, uh, more senior um, executives of color, is that uh, one of the things that, like, every so often, there's a something that causes the chatter. Oscar's so white. All of a sudden, we got to change that. You know what I mean? And we have to uh, do things. But the report cards come out every year, you know, and what's it, the, the NAACP report card. And, you know, there, there's not much movement when you look at that report card. You know, it's just a lot of chatter and talk. And so, you know, for me, it's noise and two things actually change. But look at Charles King, first black producing team, him and, and Ryan Coogler and Shaka King. I mean, it's, that's amazing, right? It, it's unbelievable that it's now, right? In 2021, we're talking about the first black producing team. You know, behind the mountains, there are other mountains, old Haitian proverb. So, so talk about some of the ways that, that you've seen then the entertainment industry respond. What are, what, are, what are some of the different things beyond statements that you've seen um, happen? And, um, you know, how, how have those things uh, impacted opportunities for people of color in the industry? And how has it impacted what we're about to see in terms of uh, differences in content creation? Well, I think that, I mean, we're in a new phase in entertainment and the, the, the creative um, is really powerful now. And so you have like, you have the inclusion writers, you have people demanding that when they walk onto a set that there are people that look like them, um, you know, and they, and, and, they, and they make it known now more than ever. You have, you have talent, um, you know, I mean, especially African-American culture, like it, you know, people, it, it's, it's, it is culture, like it, you know, people don't like to say it, but that, but that's the truth. And um, the the creators who are, who are, you know, I mean, you've seen the Shonda Rhimes deal and everybody else, the, the money that they're getting for the kind of deals they're doing. Like, if you are the creative, if you are the writer, I mean, you have power now. And and I think that's a paradigm shift before because it used to be the production companies and the networks had all the power, but now it's 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 individual brands that people are building that, that really they're, they're being able to kind of harness a certain uh, influence. And uh, that's, that's, that's interesting to watch it. And it's, it's nice when you have people speaking out, when you have people being political, you look back at people like Harry Belafonte, Muhammad Ali, and you, you know, how they spoke out. And then you had this kind of dearth <laughs> of nobody saying anything. And now, now it feels like people are, are, are at least, you know, saying their piece on, on, you know, what's going on in the world today. Yeah. Have, have you seen um, an impact yet in terms of uh, beyond the writers, which I agree with you every other day, we're seeing, you know, news of a big deal that um, the networks and, and streaming companies and cable companies are, are striking with either actors or, or uh, showrunners or writers uh, who have been at this game for a while. Um, but what about the crafts, you know, behind uh, production? There's hundreds and hundreds of crafts. 
Um, but, you know, having, you know, having ushered, you know, a young person through the industry, I can say on the vast majority of opportunities he's been at and the sets he's been on, you don't see much diversity at all. So are the crafts benefiting yet from this new consciousness? I, mean, I can't, I would say it's still like, it's still hard. I think the percentages are, are still low. I, you know, I mean, if you're talking about the day-to-day -day numbers, I don't, I don't think they're there yet at all. What I was initially talking about is sort of the impact and the sort of uh, the way the perception and the way people are viewing things and the actual numbers of these deals. But I think on the day-to-day -day when you're talking about like IATSE, like, a, like one of those unions, I mean, you're not going to see that many people of color. And part of it is because, you know, what I said is it's somebody brings you on, you work a couple of union jobs in your union, but you, you got to, somebody has to reach out, mm -hmm. you know, and bring you in. And I think that's where, that's where the issue was because they, they would prefer to bring in people who look like them. Sean, what is a deal in the industry? And what are you seeing in terms of the dollars entertainment and media are now investing in projects led by creators and producers of color? You touched on that a moment ago, but could you expound on it a little more? Yeah, well, I mean, that's just, that is the hardest question because it's, I mean, Everything you do is kind of a deal, right? There's, there's, if, if, if you have an actor who's appearing in a, a film or a TV show and you, and you have negotiated their compensation and their rights to a project, that's a deal. If you have a writer who's doing it, that's a deal. If you are trying to get funding for film and you're able to do it, that's a deal. Deals always look different. There is no deal. It's just, it's just kind of like what you're thinking about. For example, if I was just going to take the the, the VMAs or something, an award show, every performer who shows up is you've got to do an agreement for them. It usually involves some kind of allowance, and then you know uh, the bigger issue is how you you know rights and rights restrictions. Each you got to you know each separate one. Each performer has their own team of lawyers, high power mm -hmm. lawyers. Like sometimes you're like, wow, got to go from this one to this one to this one to this one. But you know, for that lawyer, that's their that's their big client, and so they're not they. It's not like they're gonna fall over and give you what you want just because you know you're at the network. It's like that's not the way it works, and it that goes down the line when you're dealing with like a TV series or film, something, anything that you have to staff. Like um, you're you're negotiating. Like I mean, in sort of like my position is, is you're always you know, going back and forth, like some things are routine, like, you know, it's like, this is how long you're working, this is how much money it is, and this is your credit. And then other things when you get to, you know, and, and this usually depends on either, the, you're either not paying them enough, and so they want more, and so you have to like divvy up what's coming, or they're at a level where, um, which, which certain people get to, where it's like, you know, no, you don't, I, I, just, I just don't show up. I need to participate in this meaningfully uh, after my participation in them because I'm the reason why it's, why, it's, why it's going to sell. One of the ways that your business has changed dramatically is with the use of digital media as opposed to, say, the old days. How, how does um, the change toward digital impact the ability of people of color 
to enter into the industry and be recognized in the industry? Um, I, I think it may, to a certain extent, I think the sort of the rise of the streamers has helped, um, has helped people of color. Like just because there's more avenues, there's more outlets and um, the churn with, with the SBOX, with the, the subscription, you know, the Disney Plus, the Netflix, uh, and even in the smaller ones like Stars and Gritbox, uh, people jump on, watch the shows, and jump off. And so um, that, that's, what, that's what they call the churn. So you need to uh, keep shows on your service that attract subscribers and keep subscribers. Mm-hmm. And so that means that you have to, like, do a lot of research. And if you're broad-based, you need to be able to keep your, your, your specific audiences. So your Latinx audience or your Black African, your AA audience, you need to keep them from January to December. You don't want them like, you know, January, then like giving you a two month break then coming back. Like you're not going to make any money that way. And so one of the ways you do that is you uh, provide authentic programming that that they're going to stay, that they're going to keep subscribing to watch. So, I mean, I think that has created uh, definitely opportunity because uh, if you don't service them, it's not like broadcast or, or cable. If you don't service them, they just they'll just stop paying and go somewhere else. Somebody who is, I mean, so it's it is it's immediate. I think what what some of these uh, these streaming companies have to do, but I also think that the the big the big play like you know remember like syndication like you would have your show uh, go for five seasons and then you would, yep. you know syndicated you make five all of that's gone because all these companies are vertical now. Like, you know, they're like, we own it. We're not selling it to anybody else. We're not letting go on any of the service. We're just keeping it in the family. So all of a sudden, there's no money. You got to get your money up front because there's no money on the back end. It's gone. So, you know, that kind of like, you know, big game situation, that's that's done. So like, and that's why you see some of the bigger deals announced because the, the you know, these big, these big major entertainment companies are keeping, are keeping the shell. They're not, they're not going out. They're not... Sydney, you know, it's not going to syndication and then it's not, or it's not going to a network and then going to a cable network, you know, as, as they're exclusive and then going to syndication. It's like, it doesn't work like that anymore. So I, I, I guess, and maybe I don't understand it correctly, but going into syndication was like one of the most lucrative ways to monetize an asset. So how do these, these companies that own the content, how do they then monetize beyond you know, the the run of that particular um, show? Well, it has value as part of their library, as part of their service, mm-hmm. right? I okay. mean, they, you know, you, that's what's keeping people, like, you know, you have to build your library. People are people are subscribing to these services because of the content that they have on them. But there's a value attached to having, I think, friends just on Peacock as opposed to letting everybody else have it. You actually yeah. have to watch it. So, you know... I, I think the problem comes in is there's so much content and there's so much clutter and it's like, what breaks through, you know? And, it, the, you know, and part of it is, is also is the, the amount of marketing dollars you have to put in to, to make something stand out. So, I mean, so much good stuff is that on arrival because you've never heard of it. You know, we talked about how, you know, not a whole lot of diversity in the um, industry. And then we go through this um, social justice shift um, and change in our communities, in our society. Uh, Businesses responded. 
Um, and so in order for, um, so businesses responded, you know, by opening up opportunity, by making um, donations to social justice organizations. But I really would like to get your insight on, on what you believe to be kind of like the most fundamental structure changes that the entertainment industry needs to make in order to ensure a more sustained level of success for the diverse talent, creatives, producers, craftsmen, and business uh, people that are in the industry? I think that each of the different, like certainly some of the, um, the specific like uh, services that people provide, you have to bring people in. Like you have to, like, it, it can't be, I hope, you know, I hope we find somebody, you know, yeah. it, that doesn't work because a lot of people don't know about the opportunity mm-hmm. because they only see the bright lights big, you know, they only see the, the, the big names and they don't know the other opportunities that exist and they're not in a place where they will find out, you know, the entertainment sometimes is its own closed off world. Like, you know, it, it kind of leads into itself. Like, you know, somebody like you, that, almost everybody you know is in it and it perpetuates itself that way. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. so it's like somebody who's just interested, they don't know what they could be unless you tell them and unless you provide opportunities unless, because one of the things that I always saw was that internships, which always lead to entry-level positions, like it's very hard. Cause I mean, my summers, I needed money. I couldn't work yeah. for free, you know, like that, that wasn't even an option, you know? So I like, for me, like concrete things like providing stipends, for, for students during the summer so they can actually like take those jobs yeah. because yeah. those, those leads to the, you, that's how you start developing a network. That's how you start developing relationships. That's where you hear what's going on. And then when you can't do that, then you're like locked out. So, you, you know, it needs to start like early on. Um, and a lot, and a lot of, you know, people grow together in this business. And so it's important to like have people have a, have a, a critical mass uh, of, of diverse people um, starting out together, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think, I think that's part, part of it. Like, I mean, I had friends who, you know, they were, they were, their parents were just paying for everything. They, they didn't, they were just having fun. They were kind of working a couple of days a week, kind of not. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, I'm Monday through Friday, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I, and I, and you, you can see it because, you know, this kind of lead, like, you you get the, the you're not in the room, right? You're not even next to the room. You're not even getting an introduction to an introduction to anybody in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what you know these kids are getting, and and that and that's the leg up, you know. And and this is an impact on industry. Everybody wants to do entertainment. This isn't like oh I want to be in entertainment and people go oh here's the job. No, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. You know, you have to like you have to network. You have to know people. You have to develop a skill set. You know, you have to make them want to take you in. It's 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 not like you know I'll send in my resume and I'll just get hired. It doesn't work that way. Too many people want to be in the industry. You know what you said, Sean, is so interesting because it resonates with a lot of what we've heard from other guests, which is that it this has to be intentional. It's not going to happen by itself. Right. Because it is very much kind of we call it the bro culture. Right. You know somebody and you call that person and then that person calls some that person. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of diversity in that network. And so unless you're really intentional about making the opportunities known, creating the pipeline, you're going to keep getting what you've always gotten. Absolutely. I think we all agree on that one, Barbara. 
So how about giving us a last word, Sean? What do you think are the three things we can expect to see differently from the entertainment industry uh, during this era of growing diversity behind the cameras? Well, I, I think this is a unique opportunity because all, a lot of barriers have been broken down um, where people are able to build themselves as a brand, as a talent. Of course, everybody's doing it, so that's part of the problem. But, I mean, there will be people who emerge successfully from that, and I think that changes the game because companies go after them because of who they are as opposed to going after them saying, uh, we're going to make you. So I think that changes the leverage and that uh, leads to better deals. I look forward to seeing what happens in the next two years with all these streaming platform. Like there's only so much you can watch. Mm-hmm. And yet, you, you know, a lot of people, me, me probably included, I will still spend a half an hour on Netflix trying to figure out what I want to watch. <laughs> as right. opposed to watching something. You know, and that, that could be any platform. So I, I, I think there's going to be a shakeout because like there's just too much content, you know, and I mean, I, I don't know how a, a lot of these companies can be able to sustain themselves. And um, and I think that the, the one thing that we always know is that, you know, something's going to happen that we never expected. I, you know, I would say prepare for the unexpected. You know, I mean, things have to change, like because of the way they're doing in like theatrical windows now like movie theaters will have to come up with a way to, to play because the windows are shorter and the amount of money they're making is less. What does that mean? Uh, what, is, what does your theater experience become? You know, I mean, they have to reinvent themselves to survive and be successful. So, I mean, I think that's going to be interesting. You know, it's all a new world. Every, like the, the way technology is shifting, the way people are shifting, just the idea that, uh, that we're sitting here, like, you know, years ago, we wouldn't be sitting here having this podcast that goes out to everybody, you know, right. looking like we do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> that part. <laughs> yeah, things are good. Things are changing and they're going to change. And, you know, what I think is, is, you know, I think personally is what you try to do is be on the right side of the fight. Sean, we would like to thank you for providing us with so much valuable insight about the evolution and major issues of diversity in the entertainment and media industry. It's been a fascinating conversation and um, you've shared so much valuable information about the industry and how it operates. We thank you. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to today's Workplace with Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. If you like what you heard, Click subscribe so you don't miss out on future updates and episodes. For more information about today's episode, check out todaysworkplace.com. That's T-O-D-A-Y-S-W-O-R-K-P-L-A-C-E dot com.